Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Easter next weekend, and for some of you that might have come quickly this year, maybe it's come as a bit of a surprise for others of us, maybe uh, we've been thinking about Easter for a a while, but you might have seen out the front of the stone building here, there's posters and a cross and the model of a tomb that's that's signifying to our community, Easter, uh, for us at least, is still a big deal. It's, uh, it's more than a long weekend filled with chocolate and rabbits. It's, it's the story of life. It's really the heart of our hope, the Easter story. This is a precious story for us, the true story of the world. And today, as we move into reflecting on the Easter story and preparing ourselves in the, the week to come to celebrate Easter together next weekend... We're going to look at the Easter story, but perhaps in a slightly different way to how you've heard the Easter story told before. Can I, Warren, get up on the screen the song, the first verse of that song we just sung, I Praise the Name. So just the first verse. So we just sung these words. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet my saviour on that cursed tree. I wonder if you've thought about that last line there in in the chorus, our saviour on that cursed tree. Quite quite often in the New Testament, and Ian read it to us from Galatians before, Jesus' cross is called a tree. And this got me thinking, what, what, what point might the authors be trying to make in using the word tree for the cross? Like, surely you can't confuse a tree and a, and a cross. So, so is this just a confusion of language, or is this an intentional way of drawing us to the meaning of the cross? But once you begin to pay attention to this language of the tree, it's It's noticeable that images of gardens and trees surround the Easter story. So just before he dies, Jesus curses a fig tree and it withers. It's a really strange kind of story. He prays in a garden surrounded by olive trees. He rides into Jerusalem upon a bed of palm leaves. Jesus' tomb is specifically called a garden tomb. When Mary meets the resurrected Jesus, she first thinks he's a gardener. Jesus, at the Last Supper with his disciples, describes himself as a life-giving tree or vine. And I want to suggest that these aren't just accidental words or events. These pictures of trees and gardens are deeply embedded in the rich tapestry of Scripture and they take us right back to the Garden of Eden. So today we're going to explore these images, these recurring images of gardens and trees in Scripture as a way of helping us to understand what took place 
as Jesus was nailed to that cursed tree. But won't you uh, join me as we, we pray, as we come to God's Word. Lord God, we come to your Word now thankful that we are able to celebrate Easter not just as a one-off event or a yearly once-off once next weekend, but as an everyday part of life, living in the shadow of Easter, thankful for the life that we've received in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we hear from your word now, may your spirit be at work teaching us and guiding us, forming us, helping us to respond with head, heart and hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you can just picture for yourself a time maybe where you've stood at the base of a magnificent tree and just reflected on the beauty and the grandeur of it, how it dwarfs you in comparison. Or can you think of a time where you've climbed up into the twisting branches of an oak and rested in its shade? Or walked through an orchard picking ripe and delicious fruit, savouring the taste? Or maybe wandered through the bush or through a forest, soaking in the clean air and the sounds of teeming life all around? Where you find trees, you find life. Indeed, each tree in itself is this miniature ecosystem of creatures and nutrients and, and systems. And so it's no surprise then that, that humans have always had a deep connection with trees and gardens. And perhaps no surprise then that the biblical story, which is the story of life, it begins with the tale of two trees. I'm just going to leave that image up on the screen for, for the rest of the sermon to help us to reflect. And so in God's story, in the story of Scripture, it begins in a mountain garden that's full of fruit-bearing trees. You might not realise that, but Eden was actually on a mountaintop. It's a mountain garden. And Scripture tells us in the middle of the garden with the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A tree of blessing and a tree of curse. A tree that Adam and Eve are welcome to eat from and a tree that they are warned away from. And so for Adam and Eve in the garden, trusting God was to walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to eat of the life that God had provided for them. The two trees, side by side, to, walk, to eat from the tree of life, you had to walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this picture of the tree of life is this picture of Adam and Eve communing with God under its branches and in its shade. I assume most of us know how the story goes, though. Adam and Eve, like each of us, couldn't walk past the tree of knowledge couldn't walk past the tree of curse. And as they stood before the two trees and weighed up the life that God had provided for them and the life that they could take for themselves, they chose the latter. It would be our way from now on, not God's way. 
And since that moment, the tree of curse has loomed over us. Not as a life-giving place of rest and wholeness, but as this shadowy, creeping carcass of rotting timber and poisoned fruit. That tree of curse brought death and shame and became a wall between us and God, between us and the tree of life. One way of telling the biblical story is to explain it as our search to get back to the tree of life again. Over our attempts to break down that impenetrable wall of cursed branches so that we might taste of the life God has given us once again. And yet as we trace the story of Scripture, we find that try as we might, our own strength proves futile time and time again. Though we try to build our own Edens, our new pictures of paradise, time and time again they prove unfulfilling and empty. But the tree of life... And the tree of knowledge don't just appear in the book of Genesis. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of curse, keep on reappearing in some fascinating ways. So often in the Old Testament, trees and gardens are associated with blessing and life and God's presence. Abraham meets God at the Oak of Morah. God appears to Moses on a mountaintop in a burning tree. God provides a tree for Jonah to protect him from the desert heat. In Proverbs, the tree of life is referred to many times as the way of wisdom. And to to hear God's word and follow his words is to eat of the tree of life in Proverbs. But one of the most important references to trees and gardens is in the design of the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple and the tabernacle were designed to look like Eden in a box. The decorations were filled with plants and and leaves and, and, and decorations drawing Israel back to the pictures of Eden. There's even a lampstand made to look like a tree, symbolising God as the giver of life. That as the priests walked into the temple, they would stand before the lampstand, the tree of life. Throughout the story of Israel, we're given these pictures that God is at work to try, attempting to replant his garden, working to replant his garden. God even plants himself at the very centre of Israelite life to be their light and life, to be their tree of life, so that Israel might itself become a new Eden from which the waters of blessing flow out to the nations around them. Yet every time it seems as though a new Eden is about to emerge, the cursed tree gets in the way again. At its pinnacle with Solomon as king, Israel is described as a flourishing garden for all, with every person seated seated under their own fig tree. And yet Solomon, like his forefather Adam, can't walk past that tree of knowledge. 
instead of receiving the blessing of God, even though he's tasted of its fruit, his own will is done as he hoards wives and wealth and idols and the kingdom fractures. Every time humanity stands before the two trees, it's our will be done. But it's not just the tree of life that keeps on reappearing, it's the tree of curse does as well. In the story of Noah, just after the flood, Noah, who's this, this picture of a, a new Adam, the first thing he does is to plant a garden and then get roaring drunk on its fruit. Then, after finding that his son Ham has been mocking him, he rages at his son, cursing him and his descendants to be slaves forever. Another garden, another curse. Moving along in the story, Israel often built altars of worship to God on mountaintops in ways that were quite reminiscent of Eden. But God gives this warning to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, don't plant trees at these high places. Trees on the high places became associated with the worship of the false goddess Asherah. And so in Hosea it says, my people are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar and terebinth where the shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. So Israel, in, in their search for the tree of life, begin to create these little false Edens on every mountaintop. But instead of finding the tree of life, they only find trees of curse that diminish and destroy life. Again, in the Old Testament, in the, in the prophets, we get images of this cursed tree where Israel, who were meant to be this beautiful, flourishing garden, are described as a withered, dying tree. Rather than producing fruit of blessing, the garden of Israel begins to produce poisoned fruit of curse. And so the tale of these two trees pervades Scripture. And throughout the Old Testament, it's the cursed tree that ultimately dominates the human story. But then in the pages of Ezekiel, there's this image of hope. We heard it earlier, but God says, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it on a lofty mountaintop. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They'll find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. And so into the story of Scripture the great gardener steps in to plant a new tree of life on a mountaintop. And this prophecy in Ezekiel, it, it's a promise of a new mountain garden, a new Eden. But, but notice as well in those words, 
the Lord is described as the one who can actually reverse the curse. It says he can dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. God has the power to take that cursed tree and make it into a tree of life. And so there's this hope that the cursed tree might not forever dominate our story. Maybe there is a way back to the tree of life through the mighty, loving hand of the great gardener. And so we come to the garden of Gethsemane, another mountain garden, where the new Adam kneels and prays before the same two trees. Jesus is faced with an anguishing decision to walk the path his father has set before him or to take matters into his own hands, to eat from the tree of life or from the tree of knowledge. And there in that mountain garden, Jesus speaks perhaps the most important words ever spoken by a human. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Those are the words that one speaks as they shun the tree of curse as they walk past it to eat from the tree of life. The irony, of course, is that to, to eat of the life his father has for him, Jesus would have to walk through death. He would have to walk through the curse to feel the stings and the cuts of those cursed brambles as the crown of thorns dug into his flesh. Not long after that, Jesus would carry that cursed tree cross on his shoulders up to the top of another mountaintop and plant it in the soil watered with his blood and sweat. And as he does that, something incredible takes place. The tree of curse that has loomed over us for all human history is transformed into the tree of life. As the tree of life and the tree of curse meet on that hilltop, life overcomes death. The cursed tree is no more. So never again, after that moment, never again in the pages of Scripture will we encounter that cursed tree except to speak of its defeat. And at the end of Scripture, we're left with this picture of the new Eden, a new mountain garden with rivers of blessing flowing out to the nations. And in this garden, there are still two trees, one on each side of the river, but they are both the tree of life. The tree of curse is gone from the picture. It says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The search for the tree of life ends at the cross, where the curtain is torn and the way opened up for us to commune with God in his garden once again. 
Life is full of moments where we stand like generations before us in front of those two trees. And we're invited in those moments to either receive the life God offers us or to take the life we would have for ourselves. To say, your will be done or my will be done. For each of us, what those moments look like will be different. Times where we're challenged to place the future or the present or even the past in the hands of God or to grasp hold of them for ourselves. And and what makes this so agonisingly difficult sometimes is that it can be hard for us with human eyes sometimes to tell apart the tree of life from the tree of knowledge. As Jesus knelt in the garden of Gethsemane, the way of life looked like death on a cross. Often eating from the life that God offers to us requires a leap of faith and a willingness to trust his word more than our sight. You know, in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, the tree of knowledge is described as tantalisingly delicious in appearance. I suspect it looked more delicious than the tree of life, to be honest. The fruit of the tree of knowledge in our lives will often look far more delightful to the eyes than the fruit from the tree of life. Taking life into our own hands will often look more appealing than trusting God. And our lives and our families and our communities still feel the shadow of the cursed tree looming over us. Even though it has been dealt with on the, on the cross, we still feel that shadow. We know that, that, we know that cursed tree all too well. We feel its shadow every time family dinners fall apart and descend into angry shouting. We taste its poisoned fruit whenever our church communities are fractured by conflict or disagreement and spiteful words. We feel the stab of its brambles when we try to fill the hollow void inside us with addictions or momentary pleasures that only cause us to feel more hollow and more wounded. These are some of the symptoms of a world that has gorged itself on the tree of knowledge for far too long. And the effect of the curse is all around us. We know it well. Jesus felt it too. And yet, there is hope not just for the future, but in the present also. Jesus says to his disciples and and to you and me, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so Jesus in those words, what he's doing is inviting us to carry our own tree cross the cursed tree in our own lives, up to the top of that mountain and plant them beside his own. Because the new Eden that he is creating is one full of once cursed trees that are now sprouting with new life and hope. You and me are those trees. 
And his garden is all the more beautiful because it bears the scars of where the curse haunts us and has haunted us, but is being overcome with life. You know, God's people are described in Galatians as fruit-bearing plants from which love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control grows. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, as we lay our lives down at the feet of Jesus, he's taking the rotten fruit of our self-seeking lives and transforming it into the fruit of the Spirit from which blessing grows. You see, the, the amazing story of Scripture, it's not just that we've been given access back to the tree of life. It's far more grand than that. Scripture tells us we've been grafted into the tree of life. We've been grafted into him, our Lord Jesus. So God is actually causing us now to bear life-giving fruit that blesses others and begins to undo the curse all around us. And so as we think of those around us, of, our, of those in our church family, or our neighbours, or the people we pass in the street, where do we see the effects of the curse in this world? And how might we, as people grafted into the tree of life, and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, by the strength of God, be at work to undo the curse. For those who are wandering in despair, estranged from family and alone, shall we befriend and comfort them and offer them a taste of friendship and hope from the tree of life? When we see a single mother or father exhausted from raising their children alone, might we offer them respite or kindness that so that for a moment the curse might not feel so painful. When, when we hear the grief and fear of those who are battling the curse of illness and sickness, grieving, how might we plant ourselves beside them like a tree of life, not pushing or demanding, but simply being present to offer shade and the soothing whisper of companionship? As we approach Easter next weekend, amidst all of the chocolate, or maybe instead of the chocolate, perhaps you could plant a tree in your garden, maybe, maybe two trees, so that every time you walk past them, you might remember how Jesus has overcome the cursed tree and transformed it into life. And then perhaps each day, as you walk past that tree, you could say to yourself, or say to God, thank you, Jesus. Your will be done. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter next weekend and indeed as we each day awake to carry our cross and follow you 
Lord, uh, may we forever be thankful for the fact that you have sent your son to take that cursed tree that has loomed over us, that, that we feel the weight of and have transformed that into life, that as we look at the cross, we see the cursed tree and yet we look at the cross and we celebrate and call it Good Friday and delight in the fact that the curse has become life in the hands of you, our God. And so, Lord, as you continue to water this garden of this church family here in Springwood, may you cause us to bear fruit of blessing, fruit of life that you use to undo the curse of the, that so many experience around us. Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for including us in the mystery of your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.